electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Report. I'm Melissa Lee, and today for Scott Wapner, a wild month coming to a close is a recent run, a bear market rally, or the start maybe of something more meaningful. We'll debate that and the opportunities in this market right now. Our investment committee today, Stephanie Link, Jim Labenthal, Josh Brown, and Joe Terranova. Let's get a check on the markets at this hour. Uh, we are close to session highs, but we're, we're in the red here. Uh, the Dow is down by 79 points. S&P down by seven points, or just two-tenths of a percent. The Nasdaq eking out a gain for now up 15 and the 10-year note to edging higher in today's session, the yield standing at 2.85%. So we broke a big, long losing streak, big, scary losing streak last week. Stephanie Link, do we feel any better today? <coughs> you had some barbecue. You enjoy the weather outside. You play with the kids. I mean, how are you feeling? Beautiful weather, but not a beautiful market, right? So I don't really think a lot has changed in terms of the market being choppy in a trading range for this year. We've been talking about this since January. And I know there were a lot of people on Friday that were excited about the core PCE being less bad, if you will, but it is still quite high. And I think the peaking inflation narrative is a bit optimistic because, quite frankly, Melissa, inflation is just about everywhere. I mean, look at energy prices today. They're spiking again. The EU had a record CPI at 8.1% year over year. I mean, a record, right? Home prices up 21.2%. 17 out of the 20 states that were surveyed had higher prices. And that's going to feed into rent increases, which are much stickier parts of inflation. So the inflation, we're hearing it from the consumer being a, a challenge. We're hearing it from corporations. Now you have China reopening that might lead to better demand, maybe better supply chain, but also higher demand. And so I just don't think that the Fed is going to be capable of engineering a soft landing and or uh, uh, doing something on the positive side in terms of inflation. So even though the data has been good and earnings have been good, I think all of these unknowns are, are really what is wreaking havoc on the market. And I just don't see that changing anytime soon. And we haven't even seen the full effect of, of the EU's ban on, on Russian oil. I mean, they're going to sign that in the coming days. Um, and so peak inflation is quaint, Joe. But where does inflation go from the peak? That's, that's a big question for consumers and businesses. For sure, and, and certainly the challenges as it relates to energy prices moving towards $120. I understand they're pulling back slightly, and you've got natural gas that's pulled back to 8.5%. But inflation is going to remain present. And to Stephanie's point, I think that's why volatility remains elevated. That's why monetary policy is going to have to stay committed to ensuring that is more hawkish to at least give the perception of fending off a lot of that inflation. Um, so the, 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 the all clear signal on the market, I, I don't think anyone could come on and really suggest that right now. I do think there is further upside potential. We're 3% below the 50-day moving average at 4270. 
So the market can clearly uh, go back towards that level. There are some positives that investors can begin to, to think about. Stephanie mentioned China reopening. I still personally believe President Biden and his administration are going to have to relax or temporarily suspend some of the Chinese tariffs to ward off some of the inflationary pressures. So it ultimately comes down to what type of stocks do you want to, involve, uh, to be owning in what I'm describing as a very volatile environment. I still want to avoid the hyper growth stocks in the last week. I purchased T. Rowe Price, J.P. Morgan, and Lululemon. I want to be respectful of valuation. I want to be invested, but I just want to do it in a very judicious and diversified way. You know, it's glass half full, glass half empty, Jim Labenthal, when it comes to the markets sort of stemming these losses that we've suffered for the past seven weeks prior to last week for the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ in that you know, the higher the markets go or the more stable the markets are, that's more work for the Fed. You know, the side effect of the Fed hiking interest rates is going to be some pullback in, in the equity markets. That's what Bill Dudley had outlined in his Bloomberg op-ed, you know, weeks ago. And if we are sitting here celebrating the fact that the markets are actually stable, maybe the Fed goes in harder. Yeah, Melissa, I really like the setup to your question there because it is glass half full, glass half empty. And the market uh, gets to decide what it wants to focus in on. That's what sentiment means. Sentiment has been overwhelmingly negative for several weeks until last week. And if I ask myself what changed, it really was that uh, Rafael Basta came out and threw out the idea of a pause in September. Now, let's be very clear. That's one person and one data point. So it's almost meaningless except that it's the first indication of anything like a pause. So really what it indicates to me is that this is a market that's really teetering on what the Fed will do. In terms of sentiment, this is what the market is teetering on. And you know, so for that you have to look at the internals of macroeconomic data that's coming up this week. Obviously we have the jobs report on Friday. Labor force participation rate is what I'm looking at first and foremost. In a similar fashion we get the ISM surveys tomorrow and Thursday, and it's the internals that I think the market is going to be focused in on. Things like prices paid, new orders versus production, because that's going to be an indication of the critical question of where inflation is going and what the Fed will do. And you cannot answer those questions until you start to get more data, particularly for May. So the PCE on Friday was the last reading for April. We need May's readings. We're going to start getting that next week with the CPI. You know, until then, we just can't answer the question as to whether this is a bear market rally or the uh, or the bounce off of a corrective bottom that has real legs because we just don't know what the Fed's going to do. Mike Wilson thinks he's got the answer. He's calling it uh, a bear market rally. It's hard to argue for more than a bear market rally, he says. It could carry another 5%. The S&P could rise to a range of 4,250 to 4,300 before falling back down to 3,400 by the end of the second quarter earnings season in mid-August. Josh, where do you stand on this? I thought you forgot about me, Melissa. No, how can I forget about um, you with your beautiful flowers right. in the background? Um, I'm literally doing Candy Crush, waiting for my turn. Hey, guys, it's a bear market rally. We've seen many of these before. We went down seven straight weeks in the S&P 500. We probably should have bounced after six. Um, this, so, so what we saw, the action that we saw on Friday uh, and a little bit Thursday, it makes sense. It's hard to time when all of a sudden that kind of thing is going to happen. But it's not natural for stocks to drop 20% on no news just because other stocks are dropping. 
but you do see that in bear markets. And there doesn't have to be news flow or rhyme and reason. We're out of earnings season. Um, so, so now there's like this, this vacuum. Uh, but I will tell you, I think the, the catalyst that could keep this rally going is not very far from now. We used to, in the, in the, in the recovery of the last bear market, the first Friday of every month, we used to be glued to the screen uh, every first Friday of, of, of each month for the unemployment numbers, the BLS release, non-farm payroll. That was the biggest market-moving announcement every month, and we all knew the estimates, and we all knew who was the high consensus, who was the low, and we followed that religiously, and it actually moved the market to a great degree. That report doesn't matter anymore. Right. We treated the covid reports as the same way every week. What's the latest? Who's infected? Blah, blah, blah. Well, now the thing that we're all glued to is monthly CPI and to a slightly lesser extent, PPI uh, CPI comes out on June 10th. The estimate is for eight point one percent, according to a consensus of Wall Street's economists and analysts. If we get a print of 7.5, 7.6, the market is going to explode to the upside. If it's 8.1, 8.2, probably we're gonna roll lower. But like that, if, if you're a trader, if you're somebody trying to figure out like, what do I wanna do in the short term? That's the thing that's gonna happen now, right? Post earnings. If you're an investor, it's really important that you not spend a ton of time thinking about that kind of thing but understanding that we're in a bear market and that these rallies will come, your job is to look at your portfolio and ask yourself, what positions am I in that are not suited for an environment in which liquidity becomes scarce uh, and companies have more difficulty, not less, rolling debt or raising new equity capital? So you want to look at your portfolio. If you have any of this metaverse trash, get rid of it. It's not going to work right now. Uh, if you have the types of companies that have high debt and an inability to pass on higher costs to consumers, get rid of it. It's not going to work. Use these bear market rallies to reposition. What should you be buying? Companies that have been paying dividends for 50 years, the aristocrats, they're going to work. Sometimes all that means is they go down less than the market, but that's okay. Look for companies that have pricing power, real estate investment trusts outside of office. These companies have the ability to raise prices on their tenants. These are the types of things that work in inflation, small cap value. So understand where we are, take these rallies, use them, right? Uh, and don't conf confuse yourself. If you're a long-term investor, don't try to play bounces. Don't try to act like you're a trader. You're not a trader. You're not doing this full time. You're not built for this. And I think if you can keep your head about you that way, you're gonna be just fine. By the way, you were doing Candy Crush. Steph was doing Wordle while you were just talking. Labenthal was doing the jumble. And Terra Nova was, was doing Sudoku. So there. Um, but, I mean, in terms fantasy, of... Fa fantasy. I, I was listening to you, though, Josh. <laughs> and the point about the, the debt costs, the cost of service debt for debt-laden companies, um, companies that won't be able to access or, or tap the capital markets. Jim, do you think that, that the market has gone as far as to price all of that in, that, that there could be difficulty to come for those types of companies, which could have a knock-on effect. Well, I want to I I segue or rather riff off of what Josh has just said, which I think is absolutely true, which is to say this, like 
why bother with a company that has you know capital needs in the short term? And when I say why bother, I mean look at stocks that are great, high quality companies, not just dividend payers, but have just gotten clobbered over the last six months, right? I mean, why not pick up Apple on the cheap? Why not pick up Google at 20 times earnings? I don't particularly like Meta, but you know it trades at 17 times earnings. And my point being is that a lot of times investors say, okay, well I'm going to go into the small cap realm because that's where the bigger bang the bigger return on my dollars are to which I say there are so many high quality fortune 100 companies trading so far off their high right now that why do you have to take the chance of a small cap company that may need to roll over a debt may need to refinance a debt if and when liquidity does uh, dry up as as Josh alluded to this is a time where you really can hit the easy button and go with large cap growth or value and feel pretty comfortable about the prices you're paying some people at home might think, oh, you know what? Oh, I just saw Walmart uh, decline by a fifth in its market cap in a single day. <laughs> I'm not feeling too good overall about this okay, market. Okay, anyway. you know what? It's not, uh -huh. I mean, I could, how many names can we come up with that are off 75%, right? And I don't, you know, whether it's Teladoc or Zoom or Peloton, like those sure. are low quality companies that don't earn their cost of capital. Why bother? Why right. bother? Let's bring in Mike Santelli for a closer look at the state of the recent rally. Mike? Yeah, I mean, I certainly wouldn't dispute the idea that uh, the bears retain the benefit of the doubt, and therefore you have to uh, be a little bit skeptical of the staying power of any rally. But if you do look at the tail of the tape, the, the mechanics of that rally last week, it did rack up some style points. What I mean by that is Wednesday through Friday, three days in a row, you had pretty overwhelming kind of skew to the buy side, meaning advancing volume was at least 80 percent, more than 80 percent uh, of overall New York Stock Exchange volume. That's not very common. It's happened only, you know, a handful of times, let's say a dozen times uh, in the last 50 years. You're up 6 percent in a week. We also did that in mid-March, so it obviously is no magic in the short term. But historically, it has good implications if you go out 3, 6, 12 months. Guess what? When it doesn't work, 2000, 2008, 9. If we're in a multi-year bear market, that's kind of all bets are off and you don't play counter trend. So that's still the argument, especially if we do get up another 3 5%, as Joe was saying, 50-day average. That's where the debate really takes hold as to whether this is more than anything. I would also look at it, though, if you want to talk about Josh being a long-term investor, at 3,800, the recent lows, 3,810 intraday on the S&P 500. You're a little bit over 16 times forward earnings. Who knows if the earnings hold up? So far, they have. Um, are we going to have to get much below that? It's unclear to me. Right now, the equal weighted S&P is at 15.2 times forward earnings. Why? Because the huge stocks are still expensive relative to the overall market. So I think you're in this neutral zone for valuation. The big call is recession or no and how tight the Fed has to get. So we're still in suspense for two months. But uh, I don't think last week's rally did anything to detract from the idea that maybe you can consider 3,800 a reference point for as a long-term investor when it's not the worst place uh, to, to get back in if we're oversold, if, in fact, we get back down there. Josh, you wanted to comment? Yeah, I think Michael makes a really good point. Like, it's, it's too early to completely invalidate last week's rally. But if you think about why bear markets are so frustrating, it's because of things like last week's rally. And my colleague Nick Majuli at his excellent blog of Dollars and Data did this look at the last four bear markets and how many double-digit rallies there were on the way to the ultimate lows. And if you think this tech wreck that we've experienced and this like valuation crash that we've experienced um, over the last six months 
looks at all reminiscent of 2000 to 2001, which I actually think is the most accurate analog we have, more accurate than the 70s, um, then understand that we had six distinct, separate, double-digit uh, rallies during that bear market. And each one of those was so crushing because you get hopeful and you start to say, oh, I'm going to get back to even or, oh, look, things aren't really that bad after all. You had a 15, a 10, a 20. The fourth one was 29% after 9-11 into January 02. Then you had 18%. Then you had 21%. But lower lows resulted after each one of those. So I really want people not to try to predict what's coming next, but try to control your own emotions. When we have a huge week like last week, try not to say, okay, I'm going back to what I used to do. It's going to work again. It probably isn't. Statistically, it's I, I probably get, not going to work again. Obviously, you know, I would never say let your emotions get the best of you, so don't control them. Um, what I will say is if your study set, the things you're looking at are bear markets that went down by half, then, of course, all the rallies are going to be shown to have failed. We also had, though, these weird instances, and there have been multiple of them we keep talking about, when the market almost went down 20% peak to trough and yet didn't go further. So I guess my point is, if it's your foregone conclusion that this is 2000 all over again, absolutely play the bear market playbook. I don't know any better than that. Maybe that's the way it's going to go. Uh, I would say Microsoft was at 60 times earnings at the top then. It was at 35 times now. Do we still have as much air underneath the market as we did? I don't know. But I guess the point is, it really is eye of the beholder stuff when it comes down to it. I, as I said, I'm willing to say it's still a downtrend. We haven't reversed anything. Burden of proof is on the bulls. But I'm also trying to be agnostic and, and, and cognizant of how this thing could unfold. Mike, good to see you. Thank you, Mike Santoli. Let's right, get the you. technical take on this market. Joining us now is Jonathan Krinsky, Chief Market Technician at BTIG. Jonathan, great to have you with us. Um, you think that we're in sort of a zone right now, and I wanted to pick up on, on this notion of what this time period is comparable to because you, you actually single out a couple of periods where you think it is comparable, 2000 and 2008. And in those instances, um, market participants actually suffered weak markets for a very long time, much longer than, than what we've been seeing so far. Yeah, so we're not saying we're in 2000 or 2008. We're saying mm -hmm. kind of to Michael Santoli's point, if we are, what did those playbooks look like? And one of the things we know over the last couple of weeks and even into the lows, into the May lows, we got a lot of questions on, you know, why is the VIX unable to get above 35 or even touch 40? And what we'd highlight in those two bear markets in 2000, it took 18 months and the event shock of 9-11 before the VIX finally hit 40. In 2008, it took 11 months and it took Lehman Brothers to finally have the VIX hit 40. And so we're five months into this on the S&P 500. And so our thought uh, at this point is that we're in this summertime chop. We, we probably got a little you know, too pessimistic at the lows in, in May. Um, and you know, we think it's going to take a little bit of, of chop to kind of unwind positioning, unwind sentiment. Um, but ultimately, we don't think this this downtrend is over. Um, and we think, you know, again, it's just too early to get that kind of final event shock type capitulation. All right, Jonathan, thanks for your take. Appreciate it. Jonathan Krinsky, BTIG. Up next, communication services, one of the worst performing sectors this year, led lower by names like Meta, Netflix and Disney. Why this group may now be set for a turnaround. Halftime's back in two minutes.
Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash report. That is linkedin.com slash report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash report and get started. Check on the markets. Major averages slashing earlier losses. Uh, we're in the red slightly. S&P 500 down 16 points. NASDAQ down 18. And the 10-year yield standing at 2851. Let's bring in BMO's Brian Belsky. He's got, Belsky, he's got a new call on the struggling communication sector, services sector, I should say. Brian, you think that this is poised for a huge turnaround. Why? We do, Melissa. Thank you so much for having us and great to see you. A couple of things. First off, we think it's the quintessential barbell sector. On one side of the barbell, you have the Google machine and the Netflix machine. On the other side, you have these deep kind of value names, the traditional telecom stocks, like now what AT&T has become again, given its divestiture of Warner, and of course, Verizon. And so in a market, quite frankly, that is seeking value, but also seeking growth at a reasonable price, we actually think the sector is a perfect contrarian call. So why is it contrarian? Because I think most investors throw uh, communication services into, into big tech, and actually they're not. Uh, I think from a, from a thematic perspective, and that's the number two point, we like to call it the three C's of the communication services. So content, cash, and cannibalism. We still think we're going to see business combinations within the sector. The sector has a lot of cash, and of course, it's all driven by content. So we like the sector here from a yield perspective, meaning AT&T and Verizon, and from more a contrarian perspective in terms of adding to Netflix now that it's gotten beaten down. And of course, even Farmer Jim was talking about Google as a potential value type name. So we really like the name. We really like the sector from a longer term perspective. Um, I'm going to go to Farmer Jim. I mean. Brian was mentioning a barbell within the sector, uh, Jim. I think it's sort of a, a hodgepodge of names. I mean, the bulk of it really at the end of the day is Meta and Google, as you point out, Jim. Yeah, and I, uh, Brian, I think that's the question. First off, I agree with the call, but I, I simplify it. Almost half of the index or the sector is Google and uh, Facebook or Meta. So everything else is going to be dragged along in the index uh, with those two names. Look, Google's at 20 times this year's earnings. Facebook, I think, is 17 times. So why not? But my question to you, isn't it even simpler than what you're saying, and it's just all about Alphabet and Meta? 
Uh, no, it actually isn't. Uh, nice to see you, Jim. We've, we've, we sold Facebook slash Meta three years ago, and we put all our money in from the growth side of communication services um, into Netflix and Google. I think what you want to do, Jim, is take your Meta money and put it into AT&T and Verizon because of the value in the strong, uh, strong dividend growth. And then AT&T is going to start cranking up its dividends again. Josh was talking earlier in the, set, in the show about the aristocrats. I still think you want to be in income and income growth. The markets have recovered a little bit, but this isn't going to last forever. Uh, and, and I do think the second half of the year is really going to be a back and forth kind of value oriented market. And I do believe, based on the comments that we have, uh, with uh, the questions and comments we have, I'm sorry, with our clients around the world, is that I think there, I think uh, most institutional investors are not in AT&T and Verizon. So I think there's a real great opportunity there. Uh, Steph, you've been adding to your meta position, so I hear. Uh, and Google starting to look interesting to you at this point? Well, yeah, I, I've been I, adding to, fa- to. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Steph. No, go ahead. <laughs> Me? Okay. Um, yeah. Sorry. Um, yeah, no, I've been adding to, to Facebook, to Meta over the last couple of weeks, um, and I've been wrong so far, for sure. It's down 43% year to date. not proud of that, but it is a value to me. And if, if Brian is talking about maybe focusing more, a little bit more on value versus growth, well, here is, to me, quality on sale. And at 14.4 times forward estimates, nine times EBITDA, they are profitable, by the way, right? So to me, that valuation is very compelling, especially when they do have the size and the scale. They have two to three million DAUs and MAUs, growing three to four percent. They're going to fix reels. They have a boatload of cash and they have a $50 billion buyback. Plus, what Brian didn't mention is you have to find some of these companies that have easier comparisons. And starting in the second half of this year, that uh, Facebook does. I do think Google is very interesting. I sold it in January and it was down as much as 25%. Um, I was looking at it. I was kind of getting a little greedy. I would like to get that at $2,000 or so, uh, especially after the snap digital advertising uh, slowing down. And the only other thing that bothers me about uh, Google Alphabet is that there are 100% sell side buys on this stock. And so that's a consensus long. So, so like wrapping it all up, I, I totally agree with Brian. Brian, it sounds to me you're more focused on value versus growth within comm services. I'm just playing it a different way. Joe, you own Alphabet here. Um, do you what, what do you think it takes to get this thing to bounce again? I think you have to have a, a mean reversion leader to laggard rotation, which we really have not had yet in 2022. So you have to have money that will come out of the leading sectors and go into sectors like communication services and consumer discretionary. And I'm not dismissing that. Um, I think that will happen at some point because we haven't experienced that just yet. But I, I think that would be the catalyst. All right. Brian, good to see you. Thank you. Nice to see you. Brian Belsky, still ahead. Price targets lowered on a group of Internet stocks. We've got some committee ownership, and we'll debate that in our call of the day next. And before the break, a check on the S&P sector heat map. Real estate and healthcare in the in the uh, laggards there, um, and we have the S and P 500 just about flat on the negative side. Stay tuned. You're watching halftime. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, 
The ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Halftime Report. Jeffrey's lowering its price targets on Internet stocks, saying beware the macro storm. Names include Amazon, Expedia, Uber, and more. It's our call of the day. Uh, Josh, you actually own two, two of these, Amazon and Uber. Yeah, Amazon looks good relative to the rest of the market right now, only because there's a split coming up on June 3rd, which I think is Friday. So if you talk to a lot of retail investors who are excited about the split, it's a big one. It's 20 for one. So I think that has uh, helped the stock recently. But this thing has just been absolutely annihilated already. Uh, and so has Uber, which leads me to ask the question, did we miss the store? Like, another storm like this is the we're in the storm so i'm not really sure exactly uh why all of the negatives that are already in these stocks need to specifically get get worse or have the the price action get specifically worse i'm not convinced well i i mean the thrust of it sounds like stephanie the, the analyst is trying to adjust estimates for what he is seeing as softening macro conditions. And I think that's a question for the overall markets. Have we re-rated on earnings? I mean, we had Mike Santoli talk about the forward P of the market being, what, 16 or something like that? And is that neutral? Is that undervalued? I mean, where are we? What is that? And it's in the eye of the well, beholder the at this point. It Absolutely. And it all depends what the E is going to be, right, Melissa? So if the macro is slowing, do you think these companies can deliver? So far, earnings have held up. But we went from 21.4 times forward estimates on the S&P 500 in January to right now about 17. Can we go to 16? Can we go to 15? The long-term average is 16. Certainly we can overshoot. But see, on these stocks, on the Internet stocks, there are really some great, great companies now that are down so much. And I agree with Josh. Did we miss like, did we miss something? I mean, seriously, Expedia, which I own, down 29%. They actually beat in the quarter. Their bookings numbers, their lodging bookings, rose 10% versus 2019 levels and up 20 times or 20 points since January. Their business absolutely is getting better. The visibility is very strong. EBITDA, EBITDA margins, this company has a lot of bloated costs embedded in the company, which they're fixing. So it's kind of a special self-help story as well. And so to me, it, I mean, the thing goes down every day, but I think that there's some value there. Um, but this is a market right now that doesn't want that. that this is a market that does, back to Brian Belsky's point, wants the dividends, wants the at and mm -hmm. of the world. And so I'm just going to sit with this one because I do like the long-term fundamentals very much. Yeah. Uh, Labenthal, do you agree hey, with what Jeffries is doing? Mel? Oh, uh, okay, Josh. You want to intro? Okay. I'm, I'm sorry, real quick. Can we put quick. aside Candy Crush for a yeah, minute? Yeah, just... I did. Uh, okay. The macro is slowing deliberately. 
Like the, 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 this is the whole point. So if there is a macro slowing, the question to ask yourself is, does Uber Eats and Uber Rides continue to take overall share? Probably yes. Does uh, Amazon e-commerce, Amazon web services, uh, et cetera, take even more share? But that's Probably a yes, that all but a macro slowdown Josh. means- Right, I mean, that's a growth at all costs mentality, which, oh. which investors do not no, want isn't. in this no, market. No, it isn't. It, okay. It's not growth at all costs because one of the things plaguing Amazon stock and Uber stock is a concern about higher labor costs, higher input costs, uh, supply chain that can't meet demand. If you get a macro slowing, that's what cleans those things up. You're not going to have... Uh, you're not, you're not going to have that, that, that problem of a too tight labor market if you substantially slow the economy. So I'm not saying like it's, it's great to have a slower economy. I'm just saying it takes less pressure. It puts less pressure on the cost structures of these companies, which frankly is one of the reasons why these stocks have been selling off to begin with. And, and this is uh, the, the poetry of this all. It goes back to glass half full, glass half empty, Jim Labenthal, because you slow the economy down and yeah, the absolutely. labor force gets worse and the consumer feels it and doesn't spend on Amazon. I mean, it, it, it goes full it, circle here. Yeah. Look, that's absolutely right. And when you raised that point earlier, I said it's all about sentiment, okay? It's what people believe is going to happen. Either they're fearful of a recession, and that's why they're selling not only Uber or Expedia, but also the airlines and also the hotels and also the gaming stocks. Or if you're bullish like me, you think this is a mid-cycle growth slowdown. And before everybody starts arguing with me, let's just acknowledge we're not gonna know until we're looking in the rear view mirror, okay? But if it's a growth slowdown, that then will accelerate into 2023, then all of these stocks and the other ones that I mentioned will do just fine. So you as an investor need to make up your mind and do your analysis about what you think's happening with the big picture. I am bullish. Uh, Joe, I want to quickly go to you because we're out of time. But, uh, you know, in my, in my notes, it's a really interesting comment. From a technical perspective, I'm in a really bad position with Amazon. What do you mean by that? On April 1st, I bought it at 32.75. Can you pick a worse buy? Like yeah. I'm down like 35% on the stock. <laughs> so, so I, I could make any fundamental, I can make any fundamental assertion re regarding what I think is going to happen. Well, it, it was also added at the end of April to the Joe T ETF. So I'm sitting with my hands tied until the next rebalance. Uh, hopefully the market experiences exactly what I said to Brian Belsky before, where you get a little form of a mean reversion. And a lot of these stocks, which are in a bear market, which Amazon certainly is, are the beneficiaries of that. And at that point, you begin to reduce the position. But awful call on my part, bad buy and stuck in a bad position. It happens. Yep, it does. Let's get the headlines with Leslie Picker. Les. Here's our CNBC News update at this hour. Firefighting crews are making progress against the nation's largest active wildfire in Mexico, in New Mexico. Improved weather conditions are helping today after high winds and low humidity hampered efforts over the weekend. The eight-week-old fire is the largest such blaze in New Mexico's recorded history. The White House plans to send a guided rocket system to Ukraine that would allow targets to be hit from more than 40 miles away. That's according to U.S. officials who spoke to The Wall Street Journal. The weapons currently being used have only half that range. Ukraine has been asking for longer-range weapons as it defends itself against Russian attacks in the eastern part of the country. 
French food giant Danone will send about 5 million bottles of specialized infant formula to the U.S. over the next few weeks. This particular type of formula is designed for babies with allergies and is still in short supply amid the overall shortage. About 2 to 5 percent of babies are allergic to cow's milk and need that specialty formula. Halftime Report will return after this. Oil prices jumping after EU leaders agree to ban most Russian crude imports. Energy is one of the few sectors in the green today, now up nearly 20 percent this month, up more than 60 percent this year. Joe, I will go to you. How are you liking energy around here? Because, I mean, what this tells me is, you know, China's easing their COVID lockdowns and the EU is going to ban most Russian oil. And that to me sounds like higher oil prices will be sticky. Pretty bullish when you when you hear both of those conditions. Uh, I do I do think in terms of actually allocating money to the various sectors, looking at energy right now, which I'm carrying an overweight in, you're you're kind of at the ceiling. I I don't think you could throw any more money at the energy sector. Uh, from a risk to reward perspective, understanding where the fundamentals are right now, I think you have to maintain those allocations and be very mindful. Uh, of the ability to be nimble to begin to pair those back. I think that's actually the next move. I think your next move with energy allocations is to begin to reduce their overall allocation. At some point, Mel, the energy market is going to get some good news, whether it's a a welcomed resolution to the actual Russia-Ukraine conflict, or as I said at the top of the show, which I firmly believe, the China tariffs are out there. In July, we have to respond uh, to the, the the necessity of them being extended. And if President Biden's administration does anything in terms of relaxing or offering mm-hmm. exemptions, that is, that, that's going to bring down inflation and it's going to bring down the commodity picture as well. I don't know. I have a hard time. And this is just, just me. I mean, I, even if Russia, Ukraine had a ceasefire tomorrow, I don't know how many bans on Russian oil are going to be lifted after what Vladimir Putin did. Mm-hmm. Um, Steph, you actually own a couple of names that Barclays has raised the price target on. Exxon's target goes to 111 from 98. Chevron goes to 196 from 183. You actually own Chevron here of these two. Yeah. Yeah. So and I'm double my benchmark and I'm planning on staying double my benchmark and any any dips. I'm, I'm a buyer. And the reason is because these companies have pricing power and a huge free cash flow situation. And they keep raising the dividends and buying back stock. In fact, Chevron, people think, uh, well, they guided two to three billion in buybacks this year alone. And and the CEO said anything north of 75 oil, he's gonna continue to be buying back stock. So there's a good chance this year Chevron could actually buy back as much as four to five billion dollars in their their stock. The yield is pretty good, not like it used to be, but 3.2% is pretty good. It trades at 11 times earnings, very strong, high quality company. And then I kind of barbell that with Schlumberger, which is my hidden technology play. And, and that is, uh, that's enabling them to see margin expansion of 200 basis points this year. Talk about pricing power. They've got it in spades. Um, and, and Diamondback Energy, they continue to do the same thing in terms of buying back stock and also increasing the dividend. They announced a special dividend and they've got very good assets, uh, uh, assets as well. So I'm kind of barbelling it. I'm looking at any weakness to buy because these, these companies just mint cash north of 75. All right. Well, fintech stocks underperforming the broader market this year, but there were a few big gainers this month. The trade is next on Halftime. Fintech's been crushed the first half of the year, but some of these names clawing their way back this month. Kate Rooney is following the action. Kate. 
Hey, Melissa. Yeah, there were some fintech winners in May. SoFi was the big outperformer for the month, followed by Robinhood and Affirm. If you compare those names to ARK's fintech innovation ETF, that was down about 10 percent in the same time period. And then year to date, those charts not looking as good. Those firms uh, and stocks still down more than 50 percent. Affirm down the most of those. And then Coinbase was really the biggest fintech laggard for the month as crypto prices got crushed. And then JMP Securities also ran some screens on more than 100 fintech names, looking at cash, debt levels, and then growth, as well as short interest. First, uh, let's talk about cash relative to market cap. Top of that list, you have Root, Robinhood, and Backed. JMP calling this a good starting point for value and lets companies go on the offense with some M&A. They also rank the most attractive valuations based on earnings projections and growth there, calling out names like Curo, NerdWallet, Upstart Lending Tree, and Rocket, all expected to see double digits earnings growth. And then those shares, like you can see on the chart there, deeply in the red year to date. Finally, short interest. Upstart Lemonade, SoFi, which I mentioned earlier, backed as well, all on the high end of that list of sentiment changes. You could see shorts having to cover their positions, and that could spark a rally. Melissa, back to you. Kate, thank you. Kate Rooney, um, let's uh, get to some of these fintech names. Josh, these, all, these names all sound like the kinds of names you all don't want to own in this sort of market environment. Well, first of all, none of them are actually disruptive. Uh, some of them are exploiting legal, legal loopholes and doing things that uh, larger financial companies just would never do because they have lawyers. And then some of them are basically just subsidizing free services using venture capital money. And there's a limit uh, in terms of the length of time you can get away with doing that. At a certain point, your backers are going to want you to make money or they're going to get out. And we've seen that in the private market. I don't know if a lot of people are, are aware. There was a company called Wealthfront that was supposed to disrupt financial advisory, which is a little close to home for me. <laughs> they just hilariously sold themselves to UBS. So I think the fintech, the quote-unquote fintech revolution has been substantially overplayed. They can buy as many stadium sponsorships as they want. In the end, if the economy gets a little bit more treacherous, credit conditions continue to tighten, it's going to be the companies like Bank of America and J.P. Morgan and Charles Schwab that are spending huge money on innovation of their own that are going to win out. And a lot of the so-called disruptors will end up either as zeros or lunch meat uh, for the M&A uh, market. And I think it's important that people understand great ideas are not the same thing as great businesses. Jim, why'd you dump PayPal on Friday? Uh, the risk reward in PayPal and frankly, the whole space is just skewed in the wrong direction. And it keys off of what Josh was saying. But I'll phrase it this way. Like, why make life hard right now? There, there's a gale blowing in the markets and we're diving off of a high board. Why, why try to do the triple Lindy? Just dive into the water, meaning just go with the big money center banks. A lot of them trading below book value with cash flows that support buying back their shares and dividends. So, you know, if I look at Citi, JP Morgan or Goldman Sachs, the return potential, if I'm right, that this is just a growth slowdown and the economy is going to reaccelerate at the end of the year, the return potential in those names is really quite high. On the downside, there's protection in their cash flows. These so-called disruptive fintech stocks are going to get clobbered if I'm wrong, and their upside, if I'm right, is measurably equal to what I think the big money center banks are going to do. So why make it hard? Gale Forces, Triple Indies, and Lunch Meat all in one block. Amazing show here. 
shares of Salesforce <laughs> lower ahead of its earnings after the bell. How you should be trading the Dow stock next on Halftime. Let's trade a few stocks ahead of earnings after the bell today, starting with Salesforce. Jim Labenthal. Look, I like this company. I like it a lot. It's small in my portfolio. And the reason it's small is because of the multiple. So we are where we are in the markets right now. A high multiple stock like this is not likely to be rewarded no matter how good their earnings are. However, that is for now. For the next few years, I see what this company is doing. We use it at our firm. It's fabulous. So I'm just not going to get caught up with today's report and how it reacts. This is a long-term hold. Uh, charge point also out after the bell. Josh, you own this one? I do. Uh, the stock has rallied back nicely off the lows, but it has been absolutely annihilated with the growth trade. Um, I do not think that you're going to get the type of earnings report that's particularly meaningful uh, past more than a, a day or so. So, like, I, I would not be uh, looking at this as an investment catalyst, uh, so to speak. But uh, I think long term, they're a better position than any other a uh, standalone publicly traded company for more cars becoming electric. Uh, this is not gas stations. This is uh, fleet equipment. Uh, so they're doing the charging at like hotels and at Starbucks, et cetera. So I'm sticking with it, but I'm not like excited for whatever the response is to tonight's numbers. That's kind of depressing. Um, Joe, I'm going to go. <laughs> no, it's, it's, no I, I appreciate the honesty. Joe, uh, Salesforce looks interesting soon what has to happen it does uh, i think you've got to have the type of guidance uh that would get a investor who has not yet invested in the company interested in buying it and that's exactly how i would categorize myself right now i'll be listening intently to the call i want to hear the tone that they set as we move forward in the coming quarters and thereafter if it exhibits the confidence i'll initiate a position in salesforce yeah, and Stefan, sort of this uh, broader sector, IBM is an Accenture, your plays. Yeah, I mean, Accenture has a partnership with Salesforce, and it's been very successful for them. And, and Accenture has grown their cloud business 26-fold in the last decade. So I like that one, and I will continue to add to it. IBM is a, return, a turnaround story, but you know the Red Hat story and the acquisition that they made. I don't think Salesforce is that expensive at 30 times forward. They just have really tough comparisons, especially on MuleSoft. And they had the best quarter ever in the company's history last quarter. And I think that's going to be tough to repeat. So expectations are low. It's interesting. It's on my radar, but I'm more inclined to buy Accenture if that were to pull back with the Salesforce numbers. All right. Final trades next on Halftime. Are you following the Halftime Report podcast? What are you waiting for? Real debate and actionable advice from the Investment Committee, plus unusual activity and more. Look for us in your favorite podcasting app. Follow the Halftime podcast now. Tune in tonight, 5 Eastern, for Fast Money. Do not miss Morgan Stanley's Mike Wilson. We'll talk about his latest call about this being a bear market rally and why earnings revisions are his focus right now. Let's get to the final trades. Stephanie Link, why don't you kick us off? Sure. Wells Fargo, it trades at one times book. It yields about 2%. They're one of the very most sensitive to rate rises. So a 50 basis point increase in the Fed funds could be 16% to its earnings and 7% to net interest income. Expenses are in check. Companies doing a really good job improving that front as well. And I think it's $6 of earnings power. I like it. Jim Labenthal. 
Yeah, Paramount. I saw the movie Top Gun over the weekend. I thought it was really fabulous. But besides that, this is the fifth number one movie they've had this year. The company just keeps going from strength to strength. They keep exceeding their streaming subscriber counts. Everything's going right at Paramount. And, it, and it's finally, I think, starting to get the respect it deserves. I just watched Top Gun the other day. Ready for Maverick now. Uh, Josh Brown. <laughs> I saw Top Gun also in the theater. It was unbelievable. I agree. I totally agree with Jim. Uh, A.O. Smith, this is one of those dividend aristocrats. The company's been around since after the Civil War. They've been paying a dividend for 82 years. This is exactly the type of stock that I want to be in for the second half of the year. Joe T., just quickly. Energy, I'm at an overweight. I'm also at an overweight for agriculture, ADM. All right, that does it for us here in halftime. The exchange begins right now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.